Are you needing some comfort today? Here's Pastor Trent Griffith. It's hard for us that have lived with prosperous ease in Western American culture to experience anything that's difficult. Listen, every time you experience hardship, understand that is an opportunity for me to lift my eyes to the God who is willing to comfort me. When disaster strikes and you experience trial or heartache or death or pain or hardship or even a natural disaster as a hurricane or a flood, will you worship God anyway? Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. What's the first thing you think about when I say the word comfort? Maybe a toddler snuggling next to mom, or you might think of certain foods or your cozy bed. But sometimes we feel a deeper need for a different kind of comfort. Often it's when life has suddenly gotten really hard. We're in a series called Lift Up Your Eyes, and today, Pastor Trent is going to point us to the best kind of comfort. It's the comfort from God, and it's mentioned in Isaiah chapter 40. This message was recorded last fall in the midst of Hurricanes Harvey and Irma. Here's Trent. Open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40. This morning, um, I want to remind you that we have started a new series. And what is the theme of the entire series? Say it with me. Lift up your eyes. And that is so appropriate to where we're at. We've been learning from Psalm 121 that our help comes from the Lord. And God designed my life to be an ever-ascending journey. Not to be stagnant, not to be plateaued, but always up and onward. If you are stagnant and plateaued or if you are descending, lift up your eyes. There is more uh, work to do. There's a better place for you to get to. And the only way you're going to get there is if you lift up your eyes. The direction of your eyes will determine the destination of your life. If you're only looking at yourself, if you're only looking at your problems, if you're only looking right here, you'll never see the mission that God wants you on. The first two words of Isaiah chapter 40 have given me my marching orders as your pastor this week. I've been rocked by these two words. Let's look at them in verse 1 of of Isaiah chapter 40. They are comfort. He repeats it. Comfort. My people says your God. I believe that's what God had said to me earlier through this week. And so my job assignment, my job description for you this morning is my job is to comfort you this morning. He goes on in verse two, says, speak tenderly to Jerusalem. And cry for her that her warfare is ended. See the word warfare there in verse 2? My Bible has a footnote. Apparently that's a hard Hebrew word to translate. So an alternate word would be hardship, difficulty, calamity, disaster. Title of the message today is When Disaster Strikes. When disaster strikes, God's people need a word of comfort. Now, let me just tell you a little bit about a preacher's job, okay? A preacher's job basically is twofold. On some days, a preacher's job is to comfort the afflicted. That is my job here today. Can I just tell you, that's not my best thing. My best thing is actually the other part of the preacher's job, and that is to afflict the comfortable. You say, yeah, I've been coming to this church long enough to know that's your best thing. So, okay, so this is a day that's not going to happen. But let me just kind of step away a little bit. Some of you do not need to be comforted. 
because you are way too comfortable already, okay? You need to be afflicted. Come back next week, we'll get after that. But listen, if you are like casually just kind of enjoying your relationship with Jesus, you just kind of see your relationship with God as kind of like crawling up in grandpa's lap and him like stroking you and telling you so awesome and handing out spiritual candy bars. Listen, you don't need to be comforted. I am not here to congratulate you on that at all. You need to be afflicted with the conviction and the urgency of pursuing God with all your heart and always finding a response to the gospel that is repentance and belief. My job for you today is to comfort you. In order to do that, um, we just need to sit on the porch for a while, okay? So just come on, pull up a rocking chair for a minute. It's going to be okay. So a couple of weeks ago, we found out, hey, there's this hurricane forming. Hurricane Harvey is there in the Gulf of Mexico, and Hurricane Harvey starts moving, and it's moving toward the fourth largest city in America, Houston. And it wasn't so much the the wind, it was the flooding and the rainfall, record rainfall there in Hurricane Harvey. And of course, we saw the news headlines, just devastation and people who lost everything. It was enough to break your heart. Then the very next week, we find out there's Hurricane Irma off in the Atlantic, and it's coming, it's coming. Where's it going to make landfall? And of course, it hit the Florida Keys, went north along the western coast of Florida, and actually just enveloped all of Florida. And uh, uh, people lost their lives, people lost their power, people lost their livelihoods, people still today. Uh, Life is not going to be back to normal for a long time, even the most vulnerable there. Did you see the nursing home and they lost power and those eight precious uh, elderly folks lost their lives in this. And um, it's just painful to watch that. And um, how many of you had somebody affected by the hurricane there in in Florida? And uh, some of you may have actually even relocated. Welcome to Northern Indiana. Um, It's the only time in history that anybody would ever relocate from Florida to Northern (laughs) Indiana. So welcome. Um, Did anybody tell you we have hurricanes here too? We call it February. (laughs) So no matter where you're at, it's just like, man, it's just bad. And with all the news headlines about Harvey and Irma, what got lost in all of that is what was happening on the other side of the world. In Nepal, Bangladesh, and India, massive flooding there. And because they don't have the infrastructure, they don't have FEMA They don't have churches that race into the the devastation and the disaster to alleviate the suffering. Thousands of people lost their lives. Thousands of people, no insurance. And while all that's happening, the biggest earthquake to hit Mexico in a century took place. What is happening? What is going on? If you are a thinking person, you should be asking some questions. If you believe God exists, you should be asking some questions about the nature of God. Where is God in all of this? Why is he allowing these things to happen? How should I respond? What would I do if the disaster struck close to home in all of these things? Let me just say, it is not wrong to ask God why. If you do it, with a teachable heart. It is wrong to ask God the question why accusatively. As if you're accusing him of doing something wrong. But it is not wrong to ask God the question why 
inquisitively with a learner's heart. God, I want to know your will. I want to know your ways. God, what are you trying to teach me through all of this? With a trusting, inquisitive heart. But if you've got your fist balled up in the face of God and you're accusing him of not being good, if somehow you think, God, if you're all powerful, then you must not be good. If you had the power to divert the storm and you didn't, you must not be very loving. Or, God, you're loving. I know you're loving, but you must not have the power or this wouldn't have happened. And so it causes us to ask questions. So what do you do when disaster strikes. And some of you are not going through a hurricane, but you're going through your own personal disaster. Could be a divorce, could be an addiction, could be financial, could be a health diagnosis. All of us are going to be affected at some point with disaster. And God wants to use the disaster to get you to lift up your eyes. To see he is the comforter in the middle of that disaster. The place that I've asked you to open to your Bible is the book of Isaiah. It's one of the largest books in the Bible. It's a prophetic book. Let me tell you about how it's laid out. It has two sections. The first 39 sections of Isaiah are a prophetic warning that disaster is coming. Because people have forsaken the Lord, become idolatrous and immoral because they are allowing their families to crumble and because they've gotten their eyes off the Lord, God is warning, disaster is imminent. Divert, 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 repent, repent, repent. And because they didn't, they actually experienced the disaster of being invaded by a foreign country and taken into captivity. Imagine North Korea sending nuclear missiles, somehow invading and carrying us off into captivity. So God, through a divine judgment, put his people in timeout for 70 years. That took place between the end of chapter 39 and the beginning of chapter 40. Chapter 40 opens up a new section. There's a completely different message, a completely different tone. The tone is now speaking into people that were experiencing the disaster of God's judgment. And the tone is comfort. The Bible should have ended in Isaiah chapter 39. And yet, because of God's grace and His mercy, we have chapter 40 that says, I want to comfort you. I have words that are tender to you. And He invites them back into covenant relationship with them, reminding them they're still His people. He calls them by name, Jerusalem. And then He says that her iniquity has been pardoned. Incredible. God's mercy, God's grace that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. Our reaction to that initially would say, yeah, double judgment, double disaster. That's not what he's talking about. What is the word double modifying there in verse 2? It's modifying pardoned. God has double pardoned them, given them so much grace, their sin has been paid for. Not only does he not treat them as they deserve, he treats them better than they deserve. Double pardon. 
And so in the midst of disaster, God has a comforting word. Now, the only way to be comforted in the middle of disaster is if you have a proper perspective on these four things we're going to look at. The first is hardship. We saw it there in the word warfare. Do you see at the beginning of, in the middle of of verse two, it says that her warfare is ended. Apparently that's a, it's a hard word to, to translate, and so the footnote there is, is hardship. So we all go through levels of hardship in our lives. Inevitably, preachers and theologian types, when there is a natural disaster, many times they make the mistake of coming out and saying, see right there, God was judging those particular people, and if they didn't repent from sin, then obviously there's more disaster coming. Hey, listen, you know what the proper perspective on hardship is? We are all living in the unfolding disaster that is planet Earth. God didn't design it this way. As a matter of fact, no one here today has ever lived in the world that God designed you to live in. God designed you to live in a world without disaster, without pain, without death, without dying, without crying. And yet none of us have ever lived in that kind of a world. The world is broken because man has decided he wants to play God. And the first man stepped over God's boundaries and took something that he thought would be an upgrade over the world that God designed him to live in. And as a result, the whole thing came crashing down and we're all living in the disaster that is planet Earth because of our own sin. Be careful where you point the finger of blame when you experience hardship. The truth is, I am the cause of my disaster. I am ultimately the cause of the pain and the heartache and the brokenness in this world. And so are you you, if you are a descendant of Adam, which I'm assuming you all are. So a proper view of hardship says, hey, it is not God's fault that we're in the situation that we're in. We have to accept personal responsibility. Look how he describes the world beginning in verse 3. A voice cries in the wilderness. First of all, notice he calls the world a wilderness. Does that sound like a fun place to live? No, it's a wilderness. It's hard. And he says, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Now, this is a a verse that, that... probably pretty familiar to you if you are a student of the Bible. Over in the New Testament, this passage is quoted. It's actually adopted by John the Baptist as the forerunner of Jesus, his cousin, that he was to be the one to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. But when when the people of God read it, receiving it from Isaiah, the interpretation was, you know what? God's not finished. He's coming again to fix it. And when he fixes it, notice what he does. He will make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Notice he calls the world a desert with crooked roads and hills and valleys, all kinds of difficulty getting to where we want to go. And yet preparing the way means that you make straight roads for the Lord. Verse 4 describes the world as a valley. Valleys shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill will be made low. So there's not going to be these deep crevices. It's going to raise those up. There's not going to be these huge mountains that are obstacles to where you want to go. It's going to bring those down so that it's flat like Indiana. You can travel. 
a lot easier when he comes. And the uneven ground shall become level and the rough places plain. If you've ever felt like this was a rough place, you're experiencing what the Bible said this place was. It's a rough place. And here ultimately in verse 5 is what it's going to look like when God fixes all of it. He's going to restore it and renew it. And look at what it says in verse 5. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. All flesh shall see it together. And the mouth of the Lord has spoken. One day, we will get to live in the world as God designed it, experiencing the manifest presence of the glory of God as it was originally in the Garden of Eden with man before man broke it. That's what's coming. Lift up your eyes. No matter what you're going through, there's a better day coming. God is going to restore and renew because His mercy has pardoned those who repent and believe. Every American has trouble having room for a God that would allow them to experience hardship. Americans have little room in their theology for a God that would allow them to suffer at all. Because we have electricity and padding on our chairs and air conditioning and toilets that flush and hot and cold running water and automobiles and Starbucks. And some of us couldn't even imagine getting through a day without any of those. And if just one of those was taken away, we would feel like God's mad at me because I'm awesome and he, he must not have noticed today. Because we're, we're, we're Americans. We've been so conditioned to think that the good things that God gives makes God good. That's a wrong theology. God who is good gives good things. But the question is this. Will you worship God if he removes anything good? Do you only worship the good God gives or do you worship a good God? The only way that you can answer that question is if God tests it by taking something good away. And when disaster strikes and you experience trial or heartache, or death, or pain, or hardship, or even a natural disaster as a hurricane or a flood. Will you worship God anyway? Or do you ball up your fist in the face of God and accuse God of not being good? It's hard for us that have lived with prosperous ease in Western American culture to experience anything that's difficult. And so we have to embrace a right view of Hardship. Listen, every time you experience hardship, understand that is an opportunity for me to lift my eyes to the God who is willing to comfort me. Will you continue to prepare the way in the midst of the hardship? Secondly, if you want to be comforted this morning, you have to have a proper view of man's frailty. Look here in verse 6. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass. Flesh. What is flesh? 
Everybody point to flesh. Did you bring some flesh with you this morning? Did you bring some flesh? Everybody's brought some flesh. It's hard to get, get rid of the flesh, right? You're in the flesh. Now, over in the New Testament, we understand that flesh is, is more of a, an appetite for sin. But in this context, it's just talking about the stuff that, that your body's wrapped in. Okay, It's the container that you are wrapped in. It's flesh. And God says, your flesh is grass. It's not a compliment. Your flesh is like grass. Look at the next part. And all its beauty is like the flower of the field. Now, some flesh is prettier than others. And some of you are flowers this morning. You have flowering flesh. It says in verse 7, the grass withers. How many of you have some withering flesh? It's just, just wrinkled up and it's just kind of falling apart and it's falling off at times. And it's just, it just withers. The grass withers. The flowers fade when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Did you know that sometimes God creates some turbulence for your flesh? I was, I was cold, made my flesh cold. Or it's, it's too hot, it's too windy. He says, surely, in case you've missed the metaphor, people are grass. On your best day, you are green grass. On your worst day, you're withering grass. On your last day, you will be dead grass. Okay? But... Verse 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, the word of God will stand forever. So your flesh better be listening to what the word of God says about your flesh, about your frailty. The fact that you are fragile, you're mortal. I don't care if you wore Captain America's shirt in here, you are mortal. You are not going to live forever. Everybody here has an expiration date stamped on your container. Can't see it, but it could be today. It could be next week. Say, not me, not me. Listen, natural disasters, I'm sure people down there in Florida and Houston, I'm sure they thought they were going to make it out alive. That's why they stayed. Natural disasters have a way of waking us up to our mortality. And it doesn't matter... If you are carted out on a stretcher to the hospital in a tragedy, in a disaster, or if you are gently and peacefully wheeled into a nursing home for your last days, everybody here at some point will be carried to the funeral home. You are terminal. You have a terminal condition. You have the SIN virus, and it's going to kill you. Everybody here is going to stand before God in judgment. The reality is this. Yes, everything that is hard in some sense indirectly is an evidence of God's judgment on sin. But we will all stand before God and only two types of people will be there. Those that will experience the final and full disastrous judgment of God or those that have believed that God's disastrous judgment was poured out on Jesus, he experienced the hurricane of God's wrath on sin so that I wouldn't have to. And only those that are trusting Jesus are those that have that hurricane diverted to Jesus. Jesus survived it. You're not going to. 
And so do you understand your frailty as a human being? If you don't, you've got to understand what God says in the rest of this passage. Understand, I am my own disaster. I create my own calamity. I am my worst problem. And the only way to get out of this alive is to bow to God's sovereignty. Here's the fourth thing you have to see. You have to have a proper view of God's sufficiency. The rest of this chapter unfolds as a test. It's kind of like God plays 20 questions with his people. He just asks them a series of questions. Oh, you think you're going to get out alive, do you? you? You think you know better than God, do you? You really think you want to accuse me of not knowing what I'm doing? You don't think I'm good? You don't think I'm in control? Well, let me, let me just ask you a few questions before you ask your why questions. Look down at verse 12. God asks his first question. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Do you know what the hollow of your hand is? Everybody make a hollow in your hand. You ever been thirsty? You've been by a stream or something? You, you bend down and you, 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 you lift it up like you're trying to make it a cup? It, first of all, have you ever noticed your hand leaks? You can never keep the water in there. It's like, I'm, you would think more would stay in there, but it just doesn't. You know what God says? He says, I have measured the water in the hollow of my hand. And somehow he keeps it all in there. Oh, God, I didn't know you were that big. Yeah, not only that, he says, who marked off the heavens with a span? Do you see it there in verse 12? Who marked off the heavens in a span? What's a span? Everybody take your right hand and hold it up like that. Spread it as far as it can go, as far as your thumb to your your pinky, as far as it can go. That is a span, okay? God says, I measure the universe in a span. How big is the universe? God says that big. Right there. I mean, it's just right there. And while all that stuff's going on over there, I'm like, that's not a thing. I got other stuff going on you don't even know about. We recently had some natural disasters of our own here in Michiana. Maybe your home was directly affected by the flooding. As serious as that has been, it's good to be reminded of something even more serious and more pervasive. It's the natural disaster of sin. Pastor Trent Griffith has been showing us truth from the 40th chapter of the book of Isaiah. But as this passage reminds us, God also wants to comfort His people. We'll hear the conclusion of this message next week. So as we heard, last fall, the people of Texas, Florida, and Puerto Rico experienced the destruction of Hurricanes Harvey, Irma, and Maria. In recent weeks, many others here in the upper Midwest have experienced devastating, record-breaking floods. In catastrophic events like these, it's encouraging to see the church roll up their sleeves and get to work. God's people are uniquely skilled at showing compassion. And I know here at Harvest Bible Chapel, a number of people sprang into action to offer whatever help and comfort we could. We do that not to try to impress anyone, not to somehow earn more favor with God. No, we reach out to others in need because we've all been recipients of the love of Jesus, and we just want others to experience it too. Well, another way we want to show you the love of Jesus is by inviting you to join us for worship. 
If you're looking for a church where you can really get plugged in, where you can hear God's word taught faithfully, come to Harvest Bible Chapel. We meet in Granger, Indiana and St. Joseph, Michigan. For more information about service times and locations, go to harvestgranger.org. Again, that's harvestgranger.org. Well, have you ever wished you could fly? Next week, how God wants you to be like an eagle when disaster strikes. We'll hear Pastor Trent's conclusion to this message from Isaiah 40. Thanks for listening today. I'm Aaron Paulus, and my prayer is that God's word would resonate in your heart and mind this week. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a radio ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel Granger, harvestgranger.org.